a journal of the plague year, being observations or memorials of the most remarkable occurrences, as well public as private, which happened in London during the last great visitation in 1665, written by a citizen who continued all the while in London, never made public before. Hi, I'm Mark Cummings, and this podcast presents my reading of Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year, a novel about the plague that afflicted London in 1665. Defoe is most popularly known to American audiences as the author of Robinson Crusoe and Moll Flanders, books that are still included in many high school reading lists. But he was a prolific author in many areas and composed several hundred works on a variety of topics. I first read the journal over 30 years ago, and I still remember the horror that briefly touched me at certain points in his narrative. Considering that the world is currently facing a global pandemic, albeit one not nearly so fearsome, I was moved to produce this podcast in order to better understand our anxiety, our indecision, and our ambivalence when illuminated against a much, much harsher background. A Journal of the Plague Year was published in 1722, some 57 years after the last great plague to strike London. The work purposed to be a first-hand account of the epidemic, written in the first person by a merchant, a saddler, living in the city. It's full of meticulous details of daily life during the visitation, as he terms it, and numerous small incidents illustrating the horrors of the epidemic. Incidents set on familiar streets and in real taverns, making it seem all the more like the account of an eyewitness. Defoe was born in 1660, and so he was only five at the time of the events related in this work. So a journal of the plague year, however faithful to historical accounts, is a work of fiction, a novel, anticipating by several centuries the great non-fiction novels of our time, of which In Cold Blood comes, perhaps inappropriately, to mind. The literary skill required of Defoe as an experienced writer imagining himself as an ordinary businessman of a half-century before is one of the topics taken up by Anthony Burgess in his introduction to the Penguin Classics edition of the novel. He writes, What to some sounds like the breathless patter of a gossip in the street is a product of great craft. Simplicity, even the appearance of clumsiness, is not easily assumed by a sophisticated man with long years of writing behind him. The sparseness of imagery and directness of vocabulary again come from a mature practice of artistic self-denial. Many of the topics related in the novel will have an immediate resonance with our own experience. I'm writing this in the early spring of 2020, during the first weeks of the COVID-19 pandemic. We do not know at this point how, or for how long, the disease will affect our lives, but the anxiety caused by the worldwide sequestration required to slow the spread of the disease, what we now euphemistically refer to as social distancing, is but a faint echo, but an echo nonetheless, of the terror of shutting up of houses required by the authorities during the London plague. Other topics that will be familiar to us are the author's indecision about whether to stay in the city or to flee to the countryside, the loosening of sectarian religious affiliations in the face of great fear, 
the role class distinctions played in determining who lived and who died, and the proliferation of quacks, faith healers, fortune tellers, and others who profited from the general misery. It's difficult to read the novel at this point without attempting to relate it to our present circumstances, never minding the fact that the mortality rate of the plague might have been as high as 25 times that of COVID-19. Still, to those of us accustomed to almost unlimited freedom of travel and access, and an abundance of amenities, the sense of social dislocation evoked by the novel is familiar enough, and real. One element that will stand out to those of us living in an altogether more diverse society than that of Defoe's time is the role of religion in the daily lives of the people. The events described here follow the Restoration by a mere five years, and it's true that there was still enormous sectarian diversity and religious strife present in post-Restoration English society. But by the evidence of this book, there was nonetheless a near-universal acceptance of the most fundamental provisions of Christian faith as it was then understood. The innate sinfulness of humankind, the promise of salvation offered by belief in Jesus Christ, and the active intervention of God in the daily affairs of humans. Indeed, the narrator of the book, himself a clear-eyed and somewhat skeptical observer of human behavior, unquestionably believes that the plague is the judgment of God upon the city. The universality of such beliefs drew people together, although not universally, and provided at least a common ground for social action. A journal of the plague year runs to some 95,000 words and contains no chapters or internal subdivisions of any kind. It is only loosely sequential, and this more often at the beginning than later on. For the modern podcaster, therefore, one of the challenges is to divide the text into meaningful units of no more than 15 to 20 minutes, each having some kind of thematic or narrative unity. This was not easy. Because these are artificial divisions, it therefore follows that the names given each episode are my own invention, placed there solely for rapid reference. Here and there throughout the text, I have omitted certain passages in the interest of observing the principles above, when I thought that by so doing there was no substantial harm to the narrative flow of the work as a whole. The structure of each episode is quite simple. Following the music that announces the episode and the author's introduction from the title page of the novel, I pop in briefly to introduce the main elements of the text that follows. The tolling of the bells of St. Paul's Cathedral divides the preface from Defoe's text. A word about the music. Both the introductory and closing passages are taken from the funeral sentences of Henry Purcell, the greatest English composer of the Baroque period. Purcell composed the work for the funeral of Queen Mary II in March of 1695, incorporating music he had written as early as the 1670s, as well as passages composed following the death of Queen Mary in November of 1694. The text of the sentences is taken from the Book of Common Prayer. In the midst of life we are death. Of whom may we seek for succor but of thee, O Lord, who for our sins art justly displeased? The performance here is sung by the choir of Clare College at the University of Cambridge, Timothy Brown conducting. We gratefully acknowledge the choir and its director of music, Graham Ross, for its permission to use these brief excerpts.
While the funeral sentences was not extant at the time of the visitation, the sentiments it evokes and its solemn and dolorous tone are entirely consistent with the religious and social responses attendant upon this terrible epidemic. Finally, the sounding of the bells that introduces Defoe's text in each episode is from St. Paul's Cathedral. These bells were not cast until 1878, and thus would not have been those heard by the citizens of London during the plague of 1665. But enough of this introduction. It's time to enter a world not quite like our own.